Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Today, we are going to look at stock market technicals, examine the chart, get some key levels, and then we'll talk fundamentals as the Fed gets set to tighten and pull back on that loose monetary policy. And that doesn't bode well for stocks. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is GAINS. We're bringing Jim Welsh back on the Gains podcast. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager, Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. His website, macrotides.com. Jim, always great to have you on the Gains podcast. How you doing? I'm doing good. Hope you're doing well, too, Andy. Yeah, outstanding. The weather's actually getting a little better in Chicago. You know, we talked about a month, maybe six weeks ago. Uh, we were kind of, you were setting the table. We were talking technical analysis. The last time we spoke, I said, hey, we'll bring you back on the Gaines podcast once we move through things a little bit. And the Fed has become, has gotten a little more real and we saw that today. The market was down a little bit as of the taping, a couple hundred points to the downside on the the Fed uh, talk today. So uh, let's reset the table. Where have we been? Where are we technically? Give us some levels, Jim. Okay. So basically, uh, the uh, low on the S&P was back uh, February 24th at 41.15. And the expectation was that we were likely to see a rally uh, off that area below 4,200. That area was retested again in the first week or so of March. And my expectation was that a rally could take the S&P at least up to 4,460, maybe a touch over 4,500. As it turned out, Andy, the, the rally carried a little bit further up to 4,637. As the S&P was up near 4,600, uh, my suggestion uh, to subscribers was it's time to lighten up. Uh, back in January, I had told people, if the S&P drops below 4150, do some buying. So to me, this was the perfect place then near 4600 uh, to, to lighten up because 
one of two things were going to happen. Either we were going to have a little bit of a dip to maybe 4,400, 4,450, and then another rally over 4,637. Uh, that would then be followed by a pretty deep correction. So from a, you know, a price standpoint, selling near 4,600 made sense. The second option was that, okay, it was a three-wave rally from 4,115 to 4,637, and now we're going to go down and test 4,115 and potentially drop to 3,850. So those were the two paths. Um, but from a, you know, a, a risk management standpoint, uh, to me, it meant, okay, even if the S&P rallied above 4,700, it was likely to subsequently drop probably to 4,400 or 4,300. So selling at 4,600 made sense, irrespective of which path the market would take. I, I think the way things have unfolded, we're more likely, uh, you know, going south, not north. Right now, as of the taping of uh, this gains podcast, where the, the S and P is four thousand three hundred ninety three. We'll just call it there. Yeah, forty four hundred. Uh, yep. And as you've indicated, you see a little bit more downside here. As we're talking technical analysis, you use an important ratio often when you're figuring out retraces and that kind of thing. And I wanted you to just touch on that real quick, Jim. Yeah. So uh, there was a, an Italian mathematician, I think, in the 14th or 15th century called Fibonacci. And he discovered that there were ratios that were very prevalent uh, in nature. Uh, a 618, 1.618. Uh, if you look at a, uh, what's it, the thing that spirals? Uh, it's a sea creature. I can't remember. Seashell. I'm not sure. But it, it literally always uh, holds to the 1.618 in terms of the way those circles out, right? So, um, I, you know, there's a lot more detail that can be given. Right, but oh, and, 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 and for the gains listener, this is, it's really interesting, and I would, if you're not familiar with this, I'm sure a lot of people are, if you haven't gone down the Fibonacci rabbit hole, <laughs> I mean, you can overlay this on a lot of things yeah. throughout the existence from at the, the cellular level all the way to galaxies. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, definitely, it's if you cool, have, actually. yeah, it's really, really cool. You mentioned in nature, you see it in the designs and flowers, the way seeds are proportioned. It's, it's amazing. It's something we just can't really delve into right now. We'd have to be a whole entire podcast, and maybe we do yeah. that sometime. But yeah. if, if you're not familiar with that, go on to YouTube, go down that rabbit hole. It's very, very interesting. So wrapping up our discussion on technical analysis, you know, we hit on some of those levels we talked about. Just sum up uh, in, in a basic way uh, our conversation in technical analysis and the takeaway we have to have regarding this before we move on to some of the other fundamentals. Yeah, I think basically, Andy, a day like today where the S&P was up over 50 points and then finished uh, down 65, it was a reversal day. And so within the context that since the S&P topped at 46.37 back on uh, looks like uh, March 29th, the S&P is making lower highs and lower lows. That's the definition of a downtrend. And today's reversal raises the odds that we're about to see another leg lower. Um, and taking out 43.70, which was the low this past Monday on April 18th, would be another signal if we take it out, especially on a closing basis, that a drop towards 4,200 uh, is likely to, to follow uh, in the not-too-distant 
future. So to me, the market is in a downtrend that doesn't preclude obvious rallies like we saw over the last couple of days. Um, but I think the, the headwinds from monetary policy, which I know we're going to talk about, uh, are just too significant for the market to, to ignore. So to me, the fundamentals are not positive. And, you know, technically the market has been working on a a downtrend, and I don't see how that's going to really materially change. All right, so we've covered the technicals. We're going to talk fundamentals right on the other side of the break with Jim Welsh. Hey, real quick, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I say it all the time. I've been told it's podcast gold. You'd totally be doing us a solid here. And then, as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new gains episode drops. We drop gains episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. We'll be right back with Jim Welsh after the break. If you enjoy learning about communities, culture, and history, then Shades of the City podcast is for you. We will bring you stories like the legacy of Johnson Publishing Company, most notably known for Jet and Ebony magazines. Basically what the world said African-American people could not do, these magazines proved otherwise. Subscribe now to Shades of the City on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager of Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. His website, macrotides.com. Jim, give us an extra plug for the gains listener. Sure. Macrotides.com. And if you would like to receive the April Macrotides issue, which goes into a lot of details of the things that Andy and I are about to cover, uh, just send me an email, Jim Welsh Macro, M A C R O, at gmail.com, and I will shoot you out the April issue. And that's Welsh spelled W E L S H. 
That is correct. Like the nationality. And give that email one more not time. Like the, not like the grape juice. Right. It's Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro, M-A-C-R-O, at gmail.com. We uh, just finished looking at the charts. Yep. Now let's talk about fundamentals, what's going on, Fed policy, a lot of balls in the air. And as we were going into break, talking about how, you know, the way things are setting up, they're kind of bearish right now. So uh, talk about the the things that are actually happening in the world, real world, and the fundamentals that are leading you to that conclusion beyond just the chart. Well, the main thing, Andy, is uh, monetary policy has shifted, obviously, less accommodation. The Fed's going to be raising interest rates in earnest in the next handful of months, and then they're going to begin to shrink its balance sheet. And as I discussed in the April issue of Macrotides, you know, the shrinking of the balance sheet in 2018 was not helpful to the stock market. So not only does the market have to contend with interest rate increases, uh, but the balance sheet reduction is also going to be a headwind. And then last but not least, and maybe the more important, the, uh, Powell has said what the, the Fed has issues they can't uh, control. Uh, in other words, they, they can't change the supply chain. Uh, they can't make more computer chips. They can't get more people to enter the labor force, and they can't you know, create more food. So they're going to go after lowering demand by raising the cost of money uh, to bring inflation down. And I think that's the, the biggest part is that the economy is going to show more signs of slowing. And rather than the Fed backing off, they're going to uh, continue to pursue tightening monetary policy. And I think that's a, a real challenge for the equity market. And I think a lot of people have mistakenly thought that, gee, the Fed has the luxury to uh, ease off uh, any tightening once the economy slows. That's what's happened in the past. But we haven't seen 40-year highs in inflation. Well, and explain why they're tie- their hands are tied. If you know, A lot of people are like, well, they can just accommodate if things get rough. They have this inflation thing, which can be a gigantic issue. Explain why the Fed really has to to follow up on this. It's key. Yeah. Well, again, I think you know uh, James Bullard, who's the president of the St. Louis Fed, you know, said, "Hey, our credibility is on the line." Now, personally, I thought they lost a lot of credibility last year. You and me, maintained- both. Yeah, we we talked about it. I think back in November and December that the Fed yeah. was way behind the curve and so forth. But his point was that, okay, we're telling people we're going to do something about this. If we don't follow through, we're going to lose a lot of credibility. And then we're going to wind up having to do what we should have done in the first place. So he's been the most vocal. And the key thing I think that people are starting to realize is Bullard said that the Fed needs to remove all the accommodation. And by that, he meant the neutral rate on the federal funds, where it's not either stimulative or uh, uh, restrictive is around 2.4%. Well, the Fed funds rate is 200 basis points below that right now, Andy. And so Bullard is pushing for, let's get to near the 2.4%, the neutral rate, very quickly, and then we can kind of stand back and wait and see what happens. But that means 200 basis points of uh, Fed tightening. Now, whether I personally believe you know, that the Fed, for months, I've been talking about they're going to front load this, they're going to raise rates uh, in March, May and June. The only difference is now we're talking about 50 basis point increases in May and June. So the Fed is going to try to get the Fed funds rate up relatively quickly toward that 2% or so mark. And, you know, some people have said, oh, gee, the market's discounted this because the two-year Treasury is up at 240. I think it finished today at 270. 
but over the last few weeks, people have made this comment. I'm like, you're out of, you really don't get it. Just because the two-year is at uh, 250 doesn't mean that uh, the economy <laughs> has priced it in. Because a lot of uh, consumer loans, personal loans, credit card loans, all tied to the prime rate. Small and medium-sized businesses have loans tied to the prime rate. So for every quarter point increase in the federal funds rate, the prime rate's going to go up. Right now, the prime rate's at three and a half. If the Fed adds 200 basis points to tighten, the prime rate's going to be five and a half. And people are really going to feel it because that their loans are tied to that. At this point in time, they haven't really felt it. So just because the two-year is up around 250 to 270 doesn't mean the real world has priced it in. Just the two-year treasury market has. So to me, that's one of the big disconnects that has shown up in the last couple of weeks with people saying, oh, yeah, it's all priced in. No, the real world has yet to have to deal with what the Fed is talking about. You're talking about potentially seeing further downside here. What does the bottom look like and what what are the fundamentals that are going to push it lower? Well, I'm easy know, to say, ask that. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. Say that five times. Um, no, as I said, Powell explicitly said the Fed policy is going to try to uh, reduce demand uh, by raising interest rates and tightening policy. So the thing that they're going to be focusing on is financial conditions. You know, have financial conditions tightened enough to exert downward pressure on demand uh, in coming months. Now, the bond market is doing some of the heavy lifting because Treasury yields are up. Corporate spreads have widened out between treasuries and corporate bonds. Uh, but one of the components of financial conditions, Andy, is the stock market. So uh, Bill Dudley, who's former president of the New York Fed, a couple of weeks ago said, you know, if the market doesn't decline, the Fed's going to keep pushing until it does, because they want financial conditions to tighten. And again, that means that's not their goal. But they want conditions to tighten so they know that the economy will, in fact, slow meaningfully um, in coming months. So to me, the, the stock market is really in a rock and a hard place because one way or the other, the Fed is going to keep raising rates until financial conditions tighten enough for them to back off. And then also getting data in on inflation. For months, I've talked about the uh, CPI is going to peak either in March or April. I think that's going to happen. Uh, but the Ukraine war is going to preclude it from dropping a lot. Uh, I thought it would drop by maybe one and a quarter percent during the second quarter. Okay. You know, I think it's going to be maybe more like 50 basis points to 75. Irrespective, it's not going to dissuade the Fed, Andy, from following through. So uh, I think, that again, that's the misconception that a lot of investors have. And yet people want to believe that, you know, Oh, like last week. Oh, the CPI, core CPI was 6.5 instead of 6.6 expected. Oh, inflation's peaking. And it's like, okay, it's at 6.6% or 6.5. That's way above 2%. So there's a difference between inflation peaking at that level or peaking at three and a quarter. Well, know, and explain that. Why, why are they all thinking that inflation's peaked? I mean, I know we've gotten these eye-popping high numbers. What makes them think that, you know, inflation's peaked, this is the top. All right, now it's, it's going to back off from here. I, yeah. I, I, I kind of scratched my head about that. Yeah, well, it's statistical in large part, okay? And in the April macro ties, I went through showing a table of the monthly increases in the CPI last year. And so it's a 12-month rate of change, Andy. So if you subtract 90 basis points from April or May of last year, which is what it was, I think May, 
Um, then you have to replace it with a 90 basis point increase in May of 2022. Right, because it's got to be higher. Because it's got to so be higher. So it only goes up 0.7, which is a bad number. Right. But the CPI would downtick 0.2% because you took away 90 and you only replaced it with a 70. So statistically, we are going to see inflation start to come down. Now, the magnitude of the drop is going to be dependent on things like used car prices coming down, other factors like gasoline prices coming down, and they will add maybe a little more octane, if you will, to the decline. Um, but, you know, it's not going to be a huge decline. In the meantime, we're shifting away from buying goods to services. So service inflation is creeping higher. It's not anywhere near as volatile as goods inflation. But things like housing, uh, rents are still working their way up. And that's, so the, that's the stuff that hits actually, unfortunately, the poorest people the hardest. Well, and food inflation. I mean, yeah. 13% of what the CPI is is food. Now, for people at the bottom 20% of the income, you know, they spend two to three times what the people at the top spectrum of their income. On, food. on a percentage basis, of course. On a percentage basis, correct. So this is having a disproportionate impact on the bottom, let's say, 20 to 40%. Of, of workers in this country. And that's one of the motivating factors that the Fed has in terms of we need to get inflation under control because even though wages are growing uh, more for the lower end people than other uh, uh, quintiles, the reality is they're going to get hit harder by inflation. And so the net result is real incomes. In other words, hey, my wages went up 7%. Isn't that great? Uh, my costs went up 8%. So I'm actually you know, underwater. So that's one of the motivating factors of why the Fed feels it's imperative to really work to get inflation down. Again, they can't, they don't have control over a lot of things. So they're just going to try to bring demand down to, you know, take things off a boil and then hope that sooner or later they will get some help from some of the things they have no control over. Like, okay, oil prices come down, gasoline prices come down. Terrific. Supply shortages uh, and supply chain issues uh, start to improve. Uh, computer chips show up so that yeah, automakers can make more cars, new cars, so that people aren't demanding used cars. So these are all the things that have to come in that the Fed has no control over, and nobody knows how much improvement is going to be recorded in these other areas. The Fed is just saying, okay, we got to do what we got to do to control the things we control. And then hopefully that other stuff kicks in at some point in time before the end of this year. So my point is, yeah, inflation is going to come down in the second quarter on the headline number, but it's still going to be a really high number. And as a result, um, people are getting overly excited. Oh, inflation peak. Okay, we don't have to worry about that problem. But it doesn't mean it's going to just drop back down to where it was before. It's just it's it's slowing its rate of moving higher. But, you know, obviously. And it's still at an unaccepted level. Before we wrap up today, I also wanted to uh, talk about some recent plays. You and I have talked about uranium. Yep. We've talked about Treasury Inverse, talked precious metals. We've talked emerging markets. You've liked spe- some, a couple specific yep. emerging markets. And you know the names that we've talked about. I just listed them here. Give us tickers and what you're doing with uh, some of the things that we've talked about in the past so uh, we can kind of get the gains listeners up to speed on kind of where your your mind's at with uh, some of the the things. Well, in terms of gold, you know, to me, the way gold reacted, 
Um, again, this idea of if people start to think, oh, inflation's peaked, then what do I need gold for? You know, that's an inflation hedge. Um, so to me, that bears watching. Uh, I have a stop on IAU at 36.60. Um, so it did not get triggered today. Um, Tell, just remind people what IAU is. Thank you. It's a gold ETF. Uh, people may be familiar with GLD, which is the other uh, gold ETF. Uh, so if you want exposure to gold, but you don't want to trade futures, these ETFs will give you that exposure, and they move up and down very closely to what gold is doing. So, uh, you know, I'm concerned that we're going to see gold weaken some more. I thought there was a good shot that gold would rally over 2000. It did. It got up to 2067 then pulled back sharply. I thought there was a pretty good shot, Andy, that gold would rally back above 2067. The action of today makes me think that, okay, that may happen sometime later this year, but in the near term, I think we're going to see more weakness. Um, in terms of uranium, uh, I like the idea long term because I think the world needs to move for more nuclear power. It is the cleanest energy on the planet. It's stable. It works 24-7. Uh, the cost to make nuclear power plants are a lot less than building gigantic solar farms and the, the you know, the uh, transmission lines to get there. Uh, there's a, the, to me, the long-term story is still intact. Technically, uh, uranium broke below a trend line this morning, and so I moved out of uranium. And I think if the S&P does plunge lower levels, it could decline towards 22. So I'm looking to get back into uranium. I just want to see the fallout from the market, and I want to see uranium weaken enough to get oversold. Yeah, I, I, um, I pers- uh, full disclosure, you know, yeah. I got in on that trade too. Actually made a little bit on it, got out of my position a couple days ago. But I'm with you. I, I you know, this is a volatile uh, um, play. URA is the yeah. ticker, URA. Yeah. But I'm looking for uh, a pullback, and I too will uh, – you know, deploy cash to get back in because the long-term story that you've talked about in the past uh, totally makes sense. Uh, so I think so. You know, yeah. we've talked about charts and technical analysis. If somebody looks up URA, uh, what is startcharts.com or bar charts, and you see, look at the lows in URA from the early March time period, and you can see where it tagged a line. If you draw a line to connect those lows or put up a ruler on the screen, if you're looking on it, uh, on the computer to be able to see how it broke that trend line. There's another trend line down below uh, that one that goes back to the low in um, uh, January. And that trend line is closer to uh, the area at about 2450. So here's, you know, it may hold that trend line. If it doesn't, then I think it dropped to 22, but this hopefully would give people, if they look at URA, so that was in a nice uptrend. And um, obviously that uptrend was broken today, and we'll see what kind of weakness, additional weakness comes in. Um, on uh, South Korea and Malaysia. The ETF on that, you're speaking yep. of EWY. Is that the one you usually use for South Korea, EWY? That is correct. The iShares M- MSCI South Korea ETF. All right, go ahead. And Malaysia is EWM. And again, the thing I've been working on, Andy, is I was looking for the dollar to spike above 100 which it has done, but I think we're nearing a high in the dollar index that could last a few months with a pullback toward 95, 96. And uh, so the thought here was that, okay, you get a spike over 100 and then you pull back. 
the dollar has yet to actually roll over. So, you know, it may continue to push a little bit higher here before it does. Uh, and I thought emerging markets would benefit. At the same time, what's happening is emerging markets, central banks are being forced to raise rates more aggressively. They actually started last year. Um, and Fed policy usually isn't a complete benefit for emerging market uh, equity markets. Also, emerging market bonds have been getting beat up pretty badly. So the same thing we're seeing in the Treasury market in the United States is happening in the sovereign debt markets in a lot of countries in emerging markets. So uh, I uh, have suggested that a stop on EYW, the uh, EWY, pardon me, uh, on South Korea, I would say 6750 or so. Um, and then on EWN Malaysia, I would say 25. So keep, you know, these are somewhat tight stops because I am concerned that the risk of the S&P dropping below 4115 and going down towards 3850 um, has increased because of the Fed is serious and market participants are now just finally realizing that, hey, these guys are really going to do what they say they're going to do. And, um, you know, I think the equity market in the U.S. is, is going to be vulnerable uh, as, as a result. Um, How about other, other areas of the emerging market? I mean, we've always talked about, you know, for the broad exposure, EEM, yeah. if uh, domestic U.S. stocks get hit, I mean, is emerging market... Uh, any kind of diversification? Um, well, here's the thing. I Why I've kind of avoided EEM at this point in time is because China is about one-third of EEM. And the chart in China, and until they ease policy, and given what they're doing with the lockdowns, so the Chinese stock market has been weak. And, and so that's bleeding into EEM. And that's why I thought, okay, the way to avoid that problem is to look at a couple of these other countries that um, Malaysia was showing good relative strength over the last four to six weeks. It actually was uh, improving from a relative strength to the S&P. In other words, the S&P might be weak, but Malaysia was actually creeping its way higher. That's a good sign. That has started to weaken in the last couple of days. Uh, and South Korea was historically oversold relative to the S&P. So, uh, you know, two different reasons why I went into them, but it was both from, a, if you will, a risk management uh, where one is acting well in a lousy market environment and South Korea was, hey, it's already weakened so much uh, that that should limit the downside. But if things get ugly in the United States, that's going to spill over into equity markets all over the world. Um, but that's why I, I uh, you know, avoided, if you will, emerging EEM because of the exposure to, to China. And until China eases policy, uh, and I do think at some point in time they will ease monetary policy, especially given the lockdowns that they're doing, and they have a big Congress in October. Uh, it's a five-year Congress, and Xi wants to become uh, unprecedented, a uh, president for, the third, for another th uh, term. Their constitution says you only can serve two terms of five years. Well, last year he had the Constitution changed. <laughs> How convenient, so, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if going into that, though, he's going to have to make the economy look a little bit better. And doing this lockdown, I think, almost raises the odds that the central bank, once the lockdown starts to unwind, I think the central bank, uh, the People's Bank of China, will ease policy. 
And that, I think, is the signal, to me at least, that, okay, the Chinese stock market's going to respond positively, and then it'll be accretive to the EEM ETF. Right now, it's, you know, it's pulling it down. Treasury inverse, that was a play that uh, we, yeah. had, we had talked about as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and and, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that, um, you know, uh, the uh, expectation was that it was going to trade over 1850 because that was the high in March uh, of last year. Uh, it's trading right now at 1931. We talked about it when it was, I think, in the low, like 1609 or something like that. Now, um, the 10-year and the 30-year are, are at 3%. Bank of America came out, I think, yesterday or the day before and recommended that, hey, there's value here in terms of buying bonds. Uh, I think there's a move where yields are going to drop over the next couple months, Andy. As we get more uh, proof that the economy's slowing, I think bonds or yields are going to come down a little bit. The other thing, too, is if the Fed shows we are serious about bringing inflation down, that might make people a little more comfortable in buying treasuries because they're like, okay, the Fed is on the game here. Uh, they're going to take care of this problem. And uh, at 3%, that's a decent enough from a you know, uh, pension fund perspective that looks a lot more attractive than uh, 1% or one and a half. You know, so I think if I'm in uh, and I'm not in uh, uh, TBF at this point in time, um, I would put a tight stop on that, you know, or look to sell half of it at this point in time. If someone was uh, listened and bought it at $16 and 10 cents and now it's at 19, you got to you got to push the cash register because I think the vast majority of the move up in treasury yields, at least for now, I think um, has probably been realized. Um, uh, you know, if indeed yields come down, for instance, 250. And I remember when we talked, because uh, I said, you know what, if you want to take a stab at uh, TLT, look at the 30-year yield. And it was around 250. I said, but at the same time, as it gets above 255, you don't want to be in it. And, um, you know, like within a week, it was above 255. And TLT uh, has dropped, you know, fairly significantly. So, again, one of the lessons is, uh, you know, Everybody who invests, there's going to be times you're wrong. You know, best laid scenario doesn't happen. The key is, I believe, what is my stop? You know, what's going to cause me to get out of this trade, um, uh, you know, before the damage becomes too big? Because then human nature takes over. Well, gee whiz, I could have sold it last week at 20, and now it's 18. They all wait for a bounce. And then it's 1750. And then it's 16, you know, so my point is before a person puts a trade on, Andy, I think it's imperative to be honest and say, okay, I'm buying it at this price. Where's my stop? Where am I willing? And that's why, again, chart analysis is really critical because it really helps identify where stops should be placed to minimize breakdowns. You know, it's that simple. And so we're seeing this. A lot of people, Kathy Wood's ARC stuff, I mean, a, you know, ARK, it was $130 last year. It's uh, $53 today. So, you know, how do you avoid owning something from 130 down to 53? You got to use chart analysis. You yeah, because at some point you got to know when to cut bait. Well, we talk yeah. about that all the time on the Noon Business yeah. Hour. You got to know when to cut bait because then, uh, you know, exactly that can happen. And, and yeah. really, yeah. Uh, 
that big of a loss is unacceptable. Yeah, right. But the only, I mean, again, you believe the story, like uranium. Hey, I think the long-term story is intact, but I don't want to hold it, you know, from uh, 26, uh, this morning I sold it like 26.90, right? If it's going to 22, I don't want to sit through that. I'd rather stand aside. We're in a very difficult market environment, so the risk of it dropping to 22, you know, is is not a low probability, you know. So, again, I think that the key comes down to is have tools that allow you to uh, to manage your risk. And ultimately, is limiting losses is one of the big keys to being able to be a successful investor. It's that simple. What's your final takeaway from our conversation on the Gains podcast today, uh, Jim? Yeah, the main thing, I, I just think a lot of people don't fully appreciate the, that the Fed is serious and they want to tighten financial conditions. And that means, you know, the economy is going to slow and the stock market is in all likelihood is going to drop and go to lower lows. Irrespective of any near-term bounces that may happen, you know, like I said, they try to bounce them because the, the core CPI last week was one-tenth of one percent less than what was expected. I mean, that's just, come on, in the face of what the Fed is about to do, that's just baloney. But yet, you know, a lot of people, I think, were on CNBC, that's all they were talking about, have, has inflation peaked, has inflation peaked for like three days last week. This is one thing I've, I think is a factor here, too. There are an awful lot of people who've entered this market as of late. When I say as of late, the last handful of years yeah. that haven't experienced a real beatdown either. And yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that kind of We're, plays into it. Right? You have a lot of newbie investors. Every time they've gone, I've mentioned this before, every time they've been able to you know, see the market dip, they yeah. buy it. And it comes back yeah. and they make money. Right. And uh, I think this is a new territory for people who are uh, haven't been in stocks for a, a really long time. Well, Marty Zweig came up with the famous line uh, in the 1980s, don't fight the Fed. And that was meant both ways. If the Fed's a tailwind, they've lowered rates, they're easing policy, that's a tailwind. Don't fight it. You know, go with it. And the flip side, obviously, is don't fight the Fed when they're raising rates and they're about to suck a lot of liquidity out of the financial system because they're going to be shrinking their, their balance sheet. And, oh, by the way, the economy is going to slow down and earnings estimates are going to come down for the second half of this year. That's not – I mean, the odds just aren't with you in that environment. So you see downside, but the good thing is we'll probably on the economic front – escape recession? I think so. Um, again, wages are strong. Consumers have $2 trillion in savings, and that's one of the reasons why I think the economy continues to hum along. Um, the leading economic indicators came out. To me, that's a superior recession indicator, uh, a predictor, than the two-year and the 10-year uh, yield curve inversion stuff. It's much more timely. The average monthly lead time on the uh, uh, yield curve is 19 months on the LEI, it's closer to nine or 10 months. And it made another new high. So until we see that really roll over, um, you know, that to me is a really positive uh, sign. Um, but things like housing are definitely gonna get hit. Um, as I wrote in the April letter, there's a good chat that uh, housing, uh, existing home sales, which are 6 million, by the end of this year, they'll be closer to 5 million. So there's gonna be areas of weakness that are going to show up. And that's why I do think at some point in time, Andy, as we get some weaker economic data and the Fed continues to say, 
yeah, but we're going to remove accommodation until we get the Fed funds rate to the neutral level of 2.4 percent um, that the market is. That's that's you don't want to hear that. Oh, you mean they're going to continue to raise rates even though the economy's slowing? So that's why I think a recession scare is likely. And if everything falls into place, that'll be the time to buy the market. I'm right about no recession. <laughs> right. There you so go. We'll be talking, and yep. hopefully we'll be able to help uh, and guide uh, uh, through what are going to be, you know, the next few months are going to be pretty crazy. Big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. The website is always macrotides.com. Uh, give us that little extra bonus sure. plug uh, for the games like listener. The, uh, uh, the April macro tides, and I also do a weekly technical review, but the fundamental stuff is what most people relate to, Andy. Uh, Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro at gmail.com. You send me an email, and I'll be more than happy because you're a listener to the Gaines podcast to send you the April issue of Macro Tides. Outstanding. Well, hey, always appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon, Jim. Thank you, Andy. We're back on Wednesday. We are going to take a big, giant leap into the metaverse. It's going to be a really cool conversation. Uh, So check us out on Wednesday morning for that. And as always, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. As mentioned, we're talking Metaverse Wednesday morning. I'll see you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.